It's March 2nd, the year is 1984. The number one song in the Billboard charts is Jump by Van Halen. The number one TV show in the country is still Dynasty this week. The big news story, Iran offensive against Iraq fails. And the three, count them, three new movies at the box office are Against All Odds, Repo Man, and this is Spinal Tap. This is the Big 4-0 with Ron and Peter. I'm Ron. I'm Peter. Every week, we take a look at a movie that came out this week 40 years ago. This week, as mentioned, there are three big newbies, Against All Odds, Repo Man, and this is Spinal Tap. But this is Spinal Tap is not streaming anywhere other than on AMC+, Plus, which is a subscription service neither of us have. And we decided with two other films to review, it was not worth signing up for just that one film. So, sorry, this is Spinal Tap fans. If it ever comes up uh, streaming somewhere in the next year, we'll cram it in somewhere on some other episode and Absolutely. get back to it. Um, I saw it a bunch when I was a kid. I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, I don't know, Peter. I, we could maybe just sort of give our opinions on it if you've seen it. I, I don't know. It's not going to yeah, be an in-depth uh, discussion. but <laughs> <laughs> Right. No, I, kind of a funny story. My uh, the my buddy who passed away last month, um, we'd go out, you know, ha- have a couple drinks, have dinner or whatever. And then um, I'd go hang out at his house and, you know, instead of watching a whole movie, he would he would present if it was a movie I'd never seen before, he would present what we would call the cliff notes version. So he would just show me he would just show me like five or six funny parts of a movie or good parts of a movie. And Spinal Tap was one of them because I had never seen it before. So I I saw like five or six funny scenes of it and I laughed. I, I enjoyed what I saw, but uh, yeah. never got to see the whole thing. Yeah, it's super good from what I remember. And I was looking forward to rewatching it again. And obviously it's it's one of those cult classics or even just full-on classics it's generally cited as one of the best comedies of all time and that sort of thing and from what i remember i would agree with that i don't know why i haven't watched it more over the years and and why i never bought it it's one of those i feel like i should just have and we shouldn't even have to worry about a subscription service but you know i've got hundreds of dvds and they can't they can't all be in there i suppose yeah i contemplated just grabbing a five dollar dvd off amazon or, or ebay or something but it wouldn't have gotten here in time anyway so we should have looked at that ahead of time. I'm a bad podcast guy. But the good news is we have two other films to discuss tonight. Peter, I don't normally do this, but I would like you to give me your star rating for Against All Odds right now. You don't have to say anything else about it, but just give me your star rating. Two and a half stars is my initial uh, rating for Against All Odds. All right. I wanted to do three, but I'm I'm kind of leaning more towards two and a half. Okay, well, I only did this for this little bit I want to do here, so we'll see if it's worth it. <clears throat> okay. Peter. Me yes. giving this movie above two stars is against all odds, and that's what you've got to face. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> that and was great. It might, might even go lower. We'll see. <laughs> Well, now I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. Against All Odds opened, as we said, March 2nd of 1984. It's directed by Taylor Hackford. We talked about his filmography a little more in depth on our uh, Devil's Advocate bonus episode last year. So I won't go through it all again, but I I think he's a solid director. You guys can go back to uh, listen to us rattle off his filmography there. But his films generally all look great. This one is no exception. It stars Jeff Bridges, James Woods, and Rachel Ward. Plus, recognizable that guy's uh, Saul Rubinick, uh, Alex Karras, uh, both of whom we've discussed in other big 4-0 entries over the last year and a half or so. 
one thing I noticed right off the bat about this movie is, is Rachel Ward gets top billing, which I think is kind of interesting. I, yeah, I noticed that too. She doesn't really show up until 20 minutes into the movie, and she has far less screen time than Bridges and, and maybe even Woods as well. Bridges is in pretty much every frame of this thing, so I don't know what her career was like at the time, but she must have been coming off something big. She was a, a model, and she was in Dead Men Don't Wear a Plaid with Steve Martin and Sharky's Machine with Burt Reynolds a couple of years before this, um, but it's only like her third or fourth film. Uh, but she was in the TV miniseries The Thornbirds, and I guess she had a lot of acclaim coming off her role there. Apparently enough that uh, she got top billing here. But she married Brian Brown, who you know from the FX films, which we recently discussed. Yep. I don't know if that was on the pod that we did that, or if that was just sort of us chatting. But <laughs> Before the pod? Yeah, yeah, I was trying to remember that too. <laughs> but yeah, I always liked him. So she went on to do some writing and directing while continuing to act, but there isn't much super memorable in her her filmography after this so yeah right off the bat the tone and vibe of this movie is 100 percent my shit immediately just from the photography and that kind of vaguely latin vaguely ominous score big red letter title cards um, it establishes itself as you know one of these big sweaty dusty pot boilers that are usually right up my alley i was i was yeah. intrigued and, and on board to begin with here Bridges looks great in this. He's apparently playing a professional football player for a team called the Outlaws. Uh, the movie does not do a very good job of convincing us that this is a professional NFL team. <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> They're playing on like a high school field and the logo and uniforms are somebody really skimped out on that in the uh, <laughs> yeah. costume department. <laughs> Even it being 1984, it still looked like high school uniforms. And <laughs> yeah, for sure. I was like, wait, what is he? Is he on some like uh, auxiliary team or what? What even? Yeah, is like this? a semi-pro like, team or yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> buy your own equipment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's neither here nor there, but uh, it's a distracting observation nonetheless. Um, and I'm not even really a football guy, so uh, you know, if if I'm catching this, that's something. Uh, incidentally, I watched this movie over Super Bowl weekend, so. That was some fun synergy, I guess. But I also revisited The Last Boy Scout for the 100th time, and it's amazing how much more convincing the L.A. Stallions, quote-unquote, in, in that movie look compared to this. Oh, absolutely. It, it was maybe a mistake to have that movie in the back of my mind as I, <laughs> as I watch this thing. But uh, Yeah. Bridges definitely looks the part of a, of a football player, though. He's... Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, I digress, but Bridges looks great, and, and he's good in yep. this, so I totally agree with you. Saul Rubinick, he looks young here. Uh, he's playing uh, Bridges' kind of shady lawyer who really doesn't want anything to do with him. Uh, uh, Bridges is cut from the team uh, due to an injury, and there's some talk about him suing, and he's got money trouble, and uh, Rubinick is his attorney, uh, but he looks almost like a young Jason Schwartzman or something in this. And uh, it's amazing how quickly he changes in the nine years between this and true romance. But um, he's a great actor. I've always, always liked to see him pop. Yeah, up me too. Movie. Playing kind got... of a, uh, not similar, but uh, another cokehead in this movie. Yeah. Right. Well, he gets <laughs> obviously kind of pigeonholed, but, but he's good at it in, in that sort of same kind of hothead yep. sleazy weasel role. So um, I love yep. him in, in true romance. Playing yeah, a, me too. Playing the Joel Silver kind of, commentary then you got james woods in here he's perfectly skeezy uh his hair face body he really looks like a sleazeball asshole in this and this kind of asshole will become his stock and trade in the the 90s and <laughs> he hires bridges to find his ex-girlfriend who took off to mexico she also happens to be the daughter of the owner of the outlaws who cut bridges 
and uh, he's currently planning on suing, like I mentioned. Bridges is desperate for money, so he accepts Woods' offer to find the girl, who has apparently decided to hide out in Mexico. He approaches a girl on the beach he thinks might be her. It's not, but I thought it was fun to see somebody laying on a beach with their cassette tapes all scattered around them. I actually uh, remember <laughs> remember these days myself. So <laughs> Absolutely. It wasn't even that long ago. I remember doing that back in, you know, probably just, just before I got my first iPod or whatever. I would still take cassettes to the beach rather than really? deal with like a cd player and yeah. sand and all that leave so, and yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah there's also a uh the police synchronicity album uh ad in a magazine woods is reading on his desk so i appreciate all that little sort of pop culture stuff it's fun to yeah look back at and i didn't like. even catch that uh there's that goofball race through beverly hills with uh bridges and woods where it's just a dick measuring contest. Woods has a Ferrari and Bridges has a Porsche. And apparently they used to do this. He's like, how about one for old time's sake or for whatever. And so they, they have this insane race through, through Beverly Hills and uh, it's, it's well Very shot. Dangerous. It's cool. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. Definitely look dangerous, mm-hmm. but um, fucking ridiculous. So, so up till <laughs> yeah. here, uh, you know, good production design, great shots. Taylor Hackford knows how to film a, a Norish scene, particularly when Woods gets, uh, I'm sorry, not Woods, but when Bridges gets to Mexico, uh, he has fun filming the rain on the palm trees and Bridges just lounging around with his shirt open all that kind of stuff looks great. Great mood. He, uh, he made Mexico look absolutely beautiful in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, it's one of the things I had written down was how, yeah, the, the set design and all that was and everything, the way it's shot, like you said, really, really well done. Yeah, photography is great. Uh, mm-hmm. There's some good dialogue. Bridges says, uh, beautiful, huh? And Ward goes, if this were LA, my father would have bought all this by now, torn it down and built condominiums. <laughs> so I like the, uh, <laughs> like some of that yep. stuff. When Ward and Bridges finally hook up, I like the way they showed their courtship kind of in a montage with their their first hookup so it, it saves the film the time of actually filming the scenes of them doing things like snorkeling or dancing or whatever they sort of do day to day and and at some point it's just it's sort of been two weeks and you wouldn't yep. really know any better it, it seems like this all happened overnight but they just kind of show you in, in patchwork what what happened and how they got to got to get together and i i appreciated that anytime a move movie can move quickly through some of the more yeah. cliched stuff that's that's always good advance the proceedings yeah and it still successfully conveys all that to the audience um i'm still not 100 100 convinced these two really have much chemistry or at least not the way they want us to believe they do but it's easy enough to go with i guess there's some cornball dialogue uh she says something like do you know what i wish i wish i could have seen you play football and bridges looks at her longingly and goes gosh i can see why jake is crazy about you <laughs> Jake being James Woods's character. So. Yeah. And Jake and wise. This is after a long blathering away in bed conversation. So I like these two, but the movie doesn't really sell that uh they're just so in love and now they're going to risk life and limb to be together. Yeah. One of the next scenes and things Bridges says uh, uh we we got to get Jake off our trail and then we jump cut 10 days later we realize Bridges has just been gone trying to figure out a way to disappear the two of them. It's just all very abrupt and isn't really sold that well in terms of setup or, or build up or anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a there's kind of a crazy bit of dialogue where she talks about the games in ancient Mexico uh, and how teams would 
play for days and the loser got their heads chopped off and people would bet their children or themselves and become slaves if they lost. And that's pretty nuts. And it really kind of puts the stakes and importance of NFL or whatever into perspective. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the, Absolutely. The amount of importance we place on that stuff. Imagine if losers of the, the 49ers all got beheaded and uh, everybody <laughs> bet on them is now a <laughs> slave or something. Yeah. <laughs> they all have to work on Taylor Swift's tour crew from now on. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's their punishment. <laughs> yeah. Or just be at her concerts every night. I don't know. Um, right. <laughs> and then Bridges says some shit like, I, I love you. You're becoming everything to me. Don't you understand that? And Ward's like, can anyone love me without it becoming life and death for them? As if she just, <laughs> yeah, it's rough. It's, it's, it's hard out yeah. there to be Rachel Ward. <laughs> I have a question about Rachel Ward's character in this film. I don't know if they ever show her dad. Her mom, her mom is the owner of the football team, right? And then that guy is her business partner. Yeah. Right? Do they show her dad? That's not the dad. I th- I, I don't, assumed it was the from dad. everything. I, yeah, I, I did know. too. Either way, if that is his dad, her dad, why does she have a British accent and neither of her parents do? Well, that's a good question, Peter. Um... <laughs> it's a it's a minor detail, but I. I asked my I asked my wife today. I said, "Is it a valid complaint when the child has an English accent and the parents don't?" Yeah, I'm like, "Well, she could have lived it. She could have lived abroad, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if she's old enough to." She studied abroad. Maybe she's just such a world traveler that uh, she's just picked this up over all her little right. jaunts to various locations. <laughs> um, I don't know. Did you look at the the plot on? Wikipedia. Yeah, I looked up the synopsis. It, it, it doesn't say anything say. about the father. No, and it doesn't say anything about why she would have a British accent. And I just assumed the they were together um, because, uh, I mean, the the person I assumed was the dad and, and the mom because he he kind of talks to her like they're romantically involved. He says, right, you know, things like dear or honey or or whatever. I, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, good question. That that had to have been the dad. I don't remember enough about that guy to remember if he had a British accent or not. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he did. I mean, this was my first watch. I've seen the movie one time, so I wasn't really laying down on the nuances. But good, good for you for picking it up. I didn't, I didn't even think of that. Well, giving it more than one and a half stars now that Peter pointed that out is against all odds. (laughs) (laughs) So. I'll I'll let you keep going. Sorry. Well, that scene I was talking about, I was just going to say, it gets even worse with them talking about never being able to trust anyone and how they, you know, both love each other. And again, I just, it doesn't work for me. It's too quick. It's too melodramatic. It's not a total deal breaker. I do appreciate that Hackford is still trying to roll through all the obvious plot beats, but it still feels stagey. They do have that sex scene in, in the cave where she's crying and uh, he seems super into her so at this point they do kind of finally sell it but then they choose to interrupt that scene to move to move along you know it's just it's just another way to like further everything maybe that should have been their first sex scene and then we'd understand why they couldn't leave each other or or be alone or or whatever right Um, and then they can do the the montage of them getting to know each other and all that and then Right. Come back and have one other sex scene where they're talking about how much they love each other and and whatnot, and then Karis comes in and the movie continues on. I think I think that would have been better sequencing of of these events, but 
What do I know? I don't get paid millions of dollars to write <laughs> generic Hollywood scripts. Come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> that scene towards the end, when everything's going to hell and Bridges rip his shirt off and she's wailing away. It's just, just bad stuff. The dialogue yeah. between, between Woods and Ward is just as silly. The two of them together is even less convincing. I like that the movie shows that he actually loves her and, and she obviously has some affection for him, even though it's obvious they won't work. Not just because of his career as a scumbag, but she clearly, she's just not in love with him. But they, they actually talk about that, which is nice. Uh, but again, the yeah. dialogue just rings so hollow and cornball. It, it plays like a hammy Miami Vice or Moonlighting episode or something. I suppose we should mention Woods is a, I what he's a bookie, a drug dealer, a, a just whatever crooked guy. He's, he's crooked guy of some. Yeah, he owns a nightclub. And yeah. he pulls out a vial I, of at coke. At first, I thought he was a uh, yeah, yeah. Jeff Bridges and. <laughs> Yeah. At first, I thought he was a former football player, also, but I guess he just, maybe he just knew Bridges from. They go way back. Uh, I forgot what they, yeah. they said there. I think they grew up together, screwed around as kids, or whatever. But and then yeah, there's all this cheesy romantic piano score. It's kind of usually at odds with the melodramatic dialogue, especially that scene where towards the end where it's uh, Ward and Woods. What I was just kind of talking about, where they they sort of have their come to terms with their relationship but that's that's not good and there and there's quite a few scenes like that too so but yeah so wood sends alex karras uh bridges friend and coach from the outlaws because bridges never returned larry is karras's character and he has a fight with bridges ward gets karras's gun she shoots him. She knows they won't be able to explain what happened to the Mexican authorities, so she runs. Bridges has to disappear the body. Ward goes back to Woods out of fear of what's going to happen. And then Woods wants files and records of all his bookmaking so he can take Bridges with getting them to when they're finished. And it's just all very convoluted bullshit about how Woods is going to use this to somehow get Ward back and, I guess, fuck right. Bridges over. And Bridges just and that was apparently decides to just leave and go back to Beverly Hills at some point after disappearing yeah. <laughs> Karis's body. <laughs> just decides to crawl back home as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was one of my problems with this movie was the overplotting of of the movie was a bit much. There's it was almost not hard to follow, but like almost like why what are we doing now? What <laughs> Yeah. Why are we getting Swoozy Kurtz back involved here? But <laughs> I mean, I mean, it made sense why it made sense. But at the same time, like she just agreed wholeheartedly to go into this office, which I know you're going to get to that scene. But yeah, that's, yeah, it's one of my issues with the movie that that knocked it down some notches was the the over convolution of everything. Yeah, well, the so, yes, Bridges goes back and then. Woods is essentially like I've I've got you uh, dead to rights on uh, however many things I'll, I'll tell the cops about. So I need you to do something for me, and he just he wants some files. So Bridges breaks into where where does he send him to? Rubinek's office. The, it's the lawyer's. It's Rubinek's office. Rubinek's right? office. Yeah. 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 So yeah, okay. So Woods sends Bridges to Rubinek's office to retrieve these files he wants. Naturally, it's a setup. Woods kills. Rubinek's lawyer character and I guess wants to make it look like Bridges did it except he also sends a cop to shoot Bridges so why bother with 
the setup and everything, unless he just wants his right. name disgraced on top of everything. Uh, naturally, Bridges puts two and two together pretty quickly, uh, and he's able to save himself, which I guess is good because I did not want another twenty minutes of him having to clear his name at the end of this movie. Like, <laughs> I was like, "Oh shit, he's getting set up for this, and now he's got to crawl yeah. out from under it." That doesn't happen. That's nice. <laughs> I guess even Taylor Hackford was like, "Ah, no, 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 nobody's going along with this much longer." Right. <laughs> that i said to myself i was like there's still 20 minutes left in this movie so what the mm-hmm. fuck but it kind of just turns into a dumb race to the finish with you know clearing up all the loose ends and whatnot uh so so again that's not great from a narrative standpoint but better than watching all the usual cliches play out and some typical tired manner that takes forever also though bridges says he hid rubinek's body he could have just left the scene with the cop looking like he shot him i don't know why bridges is out here trying to clean up bodies that he didn't even just. <laughs> yeah. He's pick- constantly picking up dead bodies. Especially since that cop is probably the one who killed him. Like, so, so Bridges is in this yeah. office. He, fi- he's flumming through the paperwork, looking at the files he wants to give to Woods. There's a, uh, he finds his file and in it, it says, you know, you're, you're fucked. The, uh, bridges or whatever it says fuck yeah. you, or something like that and then something uh like that, are you stupid fuck or something like that and then he's like oh there must be something wrong so he goes into the bathroom and finds rubinek's body sitting there and then this cop shows up with a silence gun and tries to shoot bridges bridges gets the upper hand he he fights and wins but then he starts like moving rubinek's body around and i would assume that that cop is the one who shot rubinek uh, and even if I would not, so as well. yeah, he's like the assassin or whatever. And even if not, whatever, that, that makes for a convincing crime scene. If the guy is there with a gun, yeah. I mean, <laughs> better right. than moving shit around. Like, yeah. <laughs> Leave the bodies alone, man. Yeah. You're a football player, not a fucking coroner or whatever you think you are. <laughs> right. And that's, it's just one of these movies where people just, they make the, dumbest decisions and, and even if the audience can't always suss all that out or or doesn't care it, it it still makes it hard to enjoy if you're thinking in any way critically about these movies i was more with the movie in the first half than the last half it just doesn't have a good resolution up its sleeve it's a shame it, it has a real mid-80s tv movie feel to it, it started out like something much more polished and, and cool and so yeah, it, it really kind of lost me as it went along. Um, at a certain point, not only does it get too predictable and silly, but I also just didn't care anymore. And, and like I said, there was still 15 or 20 minutes left. And I was just like, okay, can we can we wrap this shit up? I mean, this movie <laughs> might have been better at 90 minutes or, or 100 or something. But Yeah, I was reading that this is a, a remake of a, of a 1947 film. It's called Out of the Past. And it has uh, Robert Mitchum and Kirk Douglas and the woman that they're both in love with is played by Jane Greer, who is uh, in this movie as the mother of, of Rachel Ward. So I thought that was kind of a yeah cool little throwback, but I'm kind of intrigued about that movie too. Yeah. This is the second week in a row that we've watched a movie that is a remake of something from, you know, a couple decades from the forties or yeah. prior. And I, I would have liked to have seen, what was the other one? Was it blame it on Rio? That was just from the seventies, I think, but sixties, maybe it was like 67. Yeah. Well, and unfaithfully yours was also a remake. Of, oh yeah. That was from the forties. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So it's the third week in yeah. a row. We have a American yep. remake. 
Uh, either way, I'd like to actually check them all out just for comparison's sake. But uh, yeah, I mean, ain't nobody got time for that, man. <laughs> We're watching three movies <laughs> a week for these pods. podcasts. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the ending ramps up the cheese ball dialogue and filmmaking to an even another level. And yeah, woof. Uh, this movie just explodes for me. I, I don't know. It just it, it has a, a massive fucking atom bomb implosion with the last 20 minutes or so. <laughs> Whatever I was willing to give it, I just... I, I completely stopped caring and checked out. The story's fine. It's typical, but they could have made something out of it. But uh, Hackford loses his early grip and just devolves into static nothingness. And that end credit sequence is fucking high comedy, too. Uh, so the... <laughs> so I had Bridges... to stop looking because it was making yeah. me nervous. <laughs> stop looking at me, Rachel Ward. So, yeah. <laughs> so Bridges... And her separate, and then he finally goes back to find her, and she, the movie just stops. It doesn't even freeze frame on her. It just stops with her looking at the camera for an uncomfortably weird amount of time, just smiling and making yeah. weird faces as if she's trying to, we're supposed to figure yeah. out how she's trying to think and, and run through stuff in her head or whatever. And yeah, tears are coming down, then she's smiling, then tears, and yeah. <laughs> I just Weird. picture people in 1984 like standing up and putting their jackets on, and they're like, "Wait, should do we stand and keep watching? What is something else going to happen? Is she yeah. going to get shot in the head, or yeah, <laughs> as Phil Collins serenades us? Oh man, I mean, the other way you could look at it is is like, I mean, was that her like look at me Oscar bait scene or some shit? I mean, maybe like you said, she's, yeah. she's crying. She's trying to emote and show all this, these different, you know, complex feelings through silent facial expressions. I, I could see yeah. Hackford being like, yeah, yeah, go for it, Rachel. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's unfortunate for the first half or so. I was really rolling with this movie and, and would have, you know, I, I would have been able to ignore whatever dated elements because, you know, that's what we're dealing with on this podcast. But the last 20 minutes or so feel twice as long and, and really get more and more silly and annoying as it just sort of fucking limbos to its dumb conclusion. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just yeah, over two hours. They could have easily cut it to a tighter and better 100-minute, you know, movie or less. So, yeah. Um, I guess we got to talk about the theme song. Thoughts? You love the, the Phil Collins jam or... I today was actually one of the first times I had kind of enjoyed that song. I'm not a big Phil Collins fan or Genesis, but yeah. I do like some of their stuff, maybe two or three of their songs. Uh, and today when I was Oh, there's hearing, more I'm than like, that. Right, Come is... on. <laughs> I kind of liked I can't dance. Um <laughs> I like in I like in the air tonight. Um, You're such a basic. I bitch. can't really. Yeah. I know it's a very, it's very well, entry level. I'm not. I'm not Collins. some like huge Phil Collins or Genesis fan either. But they're kind of like we were talking about. Was it last week's pod? I mentioned that you know I started getting into some of this stuff. I never gave the time of day. You know, from the '90s and and everything. And Genesis yeah. was a blind spot too. That I, I think I was in Walmart or something, and they had you know they got the five dollar bin of CDs, and one of them was Genesis Greatest Hits. So I grabbed it and. Oh, yeah, I'd be amazed how many songs are that not only do you know, but they're they're actually quite good and and I like them. Um, yeah, th this one got Oscar and Golden Globe noms. Uh, I've I've always liked it fine. Uh, you know, this is a song I hear quite a bit because I work in the dental industry, so the <laughs> it's basically this and just the way you are, just on on repeat. <laughs> Maybe uh yeah, what's that Richard Mark song? Uh, 
Um, right here waiting uh, for you. Yeah, that one's right here waiting for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, but no, I I don't know. Again, I didn't didn't really care too much about this. But he's he's always been more of a if it comes on, I'll listen to it than buy his albums type guy. But uh, I do sure. have Genesis greatest hits. I listen to a lot of that stuff semi frequently, I guess. Uh, but his solo stuff, despite despite me you know knowing and being pretty familiar with all of it, I've never moved to purposely put it on. But uh, he's obviously got some iconic songs. You know, fucking in the air tonight this one yeah you know handful of them this movie 13 million dollar budget made almost 22 domestic so that doesn't even double its budget so it's it's no flop but um that's not lighting up the charts and yeah i never really hear too many people talk about it or, or anything like that i think it's more recognizable just for the the title and i think that's mostly because of the song i do remember looking at the video box a lot as a kid and thinking hmm, what's this but never pulled the trigger on it so First watch for me. Oh yeah, we never talked about that. Have, had you ever seen this one before? Yeah, this... no, this is this is my first time too. And it, it's funny because I used to always I would get this movie mixed up with Everybody's All American uh, because that has Dennis Quaid and I think Jessica Lange maybe. Um, and it turns out Taylor Hackford directed that one too. Huh. Yeah, that's right. That's about a that's about a football player too. So. Yeah, yeah, they were they were into the, the football movies. We had uh, all right moves recently. Three or four now. Yeah. Yep. And what and, was the uh, other one? Reckless. Uh, Reckless. Yeah. Yep. And then what's that? Is it Wildcats? Is that one with Kurt Russell and? Uh... Yeah. Well, I know Goldie Hawn's in it. Is Kurt Russell in that too? Uh, I thought it was Kurt Russell and uh, uh, who's the the comedian? Um, he he died a couple of years ago. Robin Williams. Isn't that a? Maybe it's not called Ew. Wild. Oh, Best of Times. Is that what that's called? Best, yeah. Something something like that. Um. Oh yeah, the Best of Times. <laughs> best of Times. <laughs> and they are football players. Yep. 1986. Yeah. There you go. Roger Spottiswide film. Wood, right? Yeah. Roger Spottiswood. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that what I said? He's oh, what did wide. I say? Spottiswide? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, does he pronounce the two O's as an I? What? <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the very British part of me. It's how we pronounce it in the. <laughs> yeah. You and Rachel Ward. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what is your dad British? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, we got I got British on on both sides, British and Scottish. Oh, I was just joking as like a callback to you trying to figure out where hers came from, but I I honestly didn't <laughs> I didn't know that, so that's good. All right, yeah. good for you. That explains um, uh, the the pale. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> very very ghostly. <laughs> There's no tanning going on here. Uh, Peter, I'm giving this movie I, two uh, stars, and I feel like that's being generous. Uh, so I could. I the could more maybe we talked about it, I'm feeling like two and a half is generous too. Yeah, it's it's half of a good movie, so uh, sure, two stars. I, I I won't be so mean yeah. to say one and a half. Like I said, that's kind of bottom barrel shit. I, it it kept me fairly entertained for most of it, and I you know was curious to see what was going to happen. But man, it just really stumbles to a lame conclusion and that's about yeah one of the worst things any movie can do at, at least if it was kind of rocking and rolling for a little while there so that's that's my least favorite type of of movie the uh the drop ball or oh absolutely not to i i like the three <laughs> i like the three leads very much in the movie but yeah i totally agree about just how it fizzles yeah, everybody watch the last Boy Scout instead, okay? Yes, just, just agree on that. <laughs> if you want to know about football corruption, just watch the last Boy Scout. Right, <laughs> better, better characters, better, better football team and uniforms, more convincing oh, yep. stadium. Yeah. Yep. 
All right. <laughs> Repo Man, baby. Um, this movie's uh, legend kind of precedes it for me. I, I tried to watch it 15 or 20 years ago based on its kind of cult status. Clearly didn't do a whole lot for me because I remember almost nothing about it rewatching it now. You? Yeah. You've seen this one? or Never never saw it. Obviously knew, knew about it. I'd seen the box and heard people talk about it, but never saw it. Takes place in Los Angeles. It doesn't give a year, uh, though it suggests it's in the future or at least some parallel universe or something. I mean... There's obvious differences, but also weird similarities of present day, you know, 84, making it kind of tough to tell. I, I Googled it and it doesn't say anything about. Yeah, because it's like all the a lot of the cars are kind of you know, 70s cars, I would say, you know, mid 70s yeah. cars or whatever. But yeah, it's definitely just shit people were driving around in in, in 84. Uh, right. There's, there's no new tech or anything like that. Uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not supposed to be futuristic in any way. Was, it wasn't really confirmed. I saw one thing that kind of said the same thing I said, which is like, it's hard to tell if it takes place in the future. And if it is, it must be a near future because they have all the same shit. So nobody, nobody knows. Okay. I did, however, discover while looking into it that there is a movie called Brother from Another Planet starring Joe Morton and directed by John Sayles that came out in, what did it say? 1986, I want to say. So that's interesting. What's it called? The brother from another planet. Oh, 1984. Oh. <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, I don't know what year. Or uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> 84. But I don't know what month. But if we come across it at some point, it's got 89 yeah. percent on the tomato meter. And wow, that's considered, good. Yeah, considered right up the alley there with with Repo Man. So, um, yeah. So whatever. I the. It's not. It doesn't look too much different in terms of technology and vehicles and all that. And they drive by a movie theater that is staying alive, which is a '83 movie and probably was in theaters when they were filming this. And that's it's on the marquee, so clearly it doesn't have have the budget to to update anything, even if it's you know, supposed to. But uh, the aesthetic could arguably work if the movie is trying to su- suggest that whatever future year this is is you know everything will be generic like progress simply stopped in 84 or or shortly thereafter uh, all the food and drinks are generic nondescript containers that say things like food or beer on yeah them. sliced <laughs> peaches yeah yeah all right <laughs> well there's that scene where Emilio Estevez is eating the food and he's like I forgot what he says but it's the goofiest line he's like um this food is really uh and it's such a weird word it's not like gnarly, but you know, something like that. Uh, really, yeah, really, it's like really fetch or really, really. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that when he's with his parents or whatever? Yeah, yeah, he's sitting yeah. there just eating out of the can that says food, and he's like, Oh, this yeah. food is <laughs> really, really choice or, or something like that. You know, it's, <laughs> I forgot what he yeah. said, but that's pretty funny. I'm not sure what the commentary there is supposed to be. Uh, if the idea is that everything will devolve in to generics but the corporate trajectory at the time and and today would seem to suggest brands becoming more and more omnipresent but maybe alex cox who wrote and direct this assumed we'd burn out on the big brands and some organization would come along and force some sort of communist like everybody's getting the same thing dress code type economy i just makes for kind of a weird film which i guess kind of adds to its charm i don't know i think that's why a lot of people like it it's hard to sort of discern exactly what it is it, it kind of reminds me of john carpenter's they live in a way and, and some movies like that yeah 
Estevez is uh, great in this. He plays a punk. You know, he's he's got his typical cocky line readings, especially when uh, he just says like "fuck you" or something like that to somebody. He has the same energy as in some of his later roles, and certainly Young Guns and, and things. Um, he's just got a he's got a bad attitude. He gets fired from his job at the grocery store one day, and by happenstance, he winds up getting a job as a car repo man. Uh, just kind of through a series of dumb luck, if you can call it luck events but he's recruited by harry dean stanton and uh his car a repossession agency eventually finding himself in pursuit of a chevy malibu that is wanted for twenty thousand dollars and has something otherworldly stashed in its trunk in the opening scene a cop pulls over the malibu and it's driven by uh j frank pernell the cop opens the trunk sees a blinding flash of light and he's instantly vaporized and all you see sitting there are his smoking boots and then the car sort of <laughs> pulls away uh so from here we get a few humorous sequences of Estevez trying to repossess cars and, and learning the ropes of you know the, the business and encountering all sorts of nefarious characters and uh, he'll eventually be tasked with finding the malibu and this is definitely a cliff notes synopsis but uh, that basically drives the remainder of the movie so yeah i don't know peter what did you what did you think of this one before i this is a uh this is a hard one for me because i it was one of those movies where i just felt like i was staring at at uh, staring at a movie that i wasn't sure what i was seeing it was so it was so wild at times in a in a good way and and yeah. but also campy at times and also like it never took itself too seriously, which I which I like, but also it's so wild and and different that like, and, and those are always those are all fine with me. But yeah, sometimes I'm like this this movie is so out there that it's almost it almost might need a, a second viewing by me at some point because it's like I liked it, but I'm also just confounded at what I saw with this movie. Yeah, Does that I mean, make I sense? Agree. Yeah, sure. I, I like yeah. movies like that too. Sometimes just they're overall just weirdness or doing something so different and unique even if you're like i don't know if i care about this or this is necessarily a good movie the just it's sheer audacity is is enough to kind <laughs> yeah. of pull you through and you just want to see what's going to happen next and yeah they they've made a lot of movies like this kind of back in the the 80s and i think it's a good example of that type of film so definitely there's some nice little effective scenes and touches i i noted the operator wearing just one sequence glove like michael jackson or something <laughs> and, yes and her tech is so of the time another way the movie apparently didn't even bother trying to you know, didn't try to envision the future unless again they they assumed it all was just gonna look like shit you know right around whatever time it's supposed to be set in but uh the scenes right. were where they repo a car and throw the presents out of it. And there's a bunch of cash in them and they're just like flying all over the highway. And then that's never really touched on or explained again. <laughs> I thought that was, like, yeah. why, why were all these, or all these, all this cash wrapped up as presents. And, it's just yeah. all over and that funny scene where his partner reveals that he's firing blanks. I thought that was kind of a funny scene too, because you wonder how he was just shooting at, the house or the car or whatever you're shooting, shooting at. at the house yeah there's a scene where john somebody says john wayne is a fag and there's a couple of questionable slurs you know used in this film mm -hmm. but uh as usual we just have to say different time and all but this scene is pretty good with the dialogue in another way that it's crazy to think this is taking place 
in any other time, you know, because are would young people really be arguing about the masculinity of John Wayne? Like that's a <laughs> you know a big right a big insult <laughs> at the time. The so. guy who says that line, I've seen. I swear to God, I've seen him in like thirty movies just in the last couple years. Even doing this podcast, I swear that guy's crept up at least three or four times already. Um, huh. I, yeah, I didn't notice or take note. I might have recognized the face or something, but I, I didn't make note of it or anything. But I'll look him up while you while you keep going. Yeah, I mean they really go for it with that line about he had to install a two way mirror for uh, <laughs> you know his sexual exploits and all these guys who thought of Wayne as their big hero, you know, lose their mind and you know start a fight. Yeah. I mean, it's a funny kind of well written and, and shot scene, but just, just a, such a weird. Very much of its time for a movie that is maybe playing in some sort of futuristic sandbox. But the band in that bar that can, you know, barely sing and play, the lead singer is just going, <laughs> doody do, wop wop, say yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah something says something like, I used to like these guys. <laughs> <laughs> these guys really fell off or something. And his old crew of punks, they show up and ask where he's been and why Estevez doesn't hang out with him anymore. And he's eventually like, fuck this. Let's just go do some crimes. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, let's get some sushi and not pay. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I love that line. It was such a throwaway line. Yeah. They're like, uh, like, why don't, why didn't you uh, come out with us anymore or whatever? And then one guy literally says, uh, fuck this. Let's just go do some crimes. And then the response, yeah. the other guys, yeah, let's get some sushi and not pay. <laughs> so the, uh, the actor in question talks about John Wayne. His name's Tracy Walter. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. Hold on. He I was in Annie Hall. Yep. Oh, you do. Okay. Never mind. Yep. So I didn't, I didn't realize he was the one who said that, but, but yes, yeah. I, uh, I love Tracy Walter actually, but Rumble Fish. He's a Repo Man. Annie Hall. These are all movies we've done. He's also well. You're missing the biggest one. Yeah, he's uh, Jack Nicholson's Bob. Yeah, Bob. Yeah. You are. What did he say to Bob? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Guy. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's when he's trying to to spoof on um on Jack Palance. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. At the end, when uh, Leela, played by Olivia Brash, says. What about our relationship when Estevez gets into the car revealed to be a spaceship or time machine or both? That's what this Chevy Malibu is. Uh, the movie suggests they're kind of just one in the same. Anyway, he's getting into this glowing car all wide eyed about the possibilities. And she's like, what about our relationship? And he goes, fuck that. And gets into the car. And just... <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she was just then, torturing him five minutes earlier. Yeah, and then the end credits, they run backwards, which I guess is, you know, a, whatever. Maybe a kind of half-ass trick, but I thought it was a funny thing to do. It was fitting for that movie. Yeah, it was fitting right. for that movie. The little moment I really want to mention, uh, Estevez is talking to Tracy Walter, and, and like we said, he's played, uh, or he played Bob the Goon in, in Batman, um, and he was in Young Guns 2 with Estevez. Uh, yep. He was in Annie Hall, which we just did in the pod. Anyway, he has this monologue about how there's this layer of coincidence that lays on top of everything. And he says something to that effect. I think that's a direct quote, but if not, that's the gist. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. And he goes on to give an example about how if you think about a plate of shrimp and then all of a sudden somebody will say something like plate or shrimp, you know, out of the blue, no explanation, no point in trying to figure it out. Like just it's it's out in the cosmos is what he tells him. 
And Peter, I don't know how many times I have lamented on the fact that I will bring up a movie or a specific episode of a TV show or an actor or whatever it is that I haven't thought about in a while. And then within a day or sometimes even just minutes, I'll go on to Twitter or, or whatever, talk to people or, or see someone reference that exact episode. The person I just mentioned, you know, they, they die that day or the next day, whatever yeah. weird coincidence it is. I've always thought that's insanely weird. And I guess now we can maybe chuck a lot of that up to you know our phones and the you know the shit just like listening to us and targeted ads and all that kind of stuff but it's it's more than just you know the mention of the thing it's that whatever movie i brought up or tv show you know today's all of a sudden the 25th anniversary of that or something like that so it's not just like yeah. you know your, your phone doesn't just make that up you know right you you say something and then two days later you realize oh that thing i was just talking about it was uh came out 30 years ago or some shit and yeah that stuff is weird um and i like the idea that even 40 years ago people were already wrestling with that um it's nice to know i'm not alone uh <laughs> but it, right but it's also that it's just it's not just in the social media age and you know that way of thinking it's comforting that it's been going on and will continue to go on i suppose but i i thought that scene was interesting and uh even even profound so yeah rings very true yeah for sure so yeah there are some sequences that are just so over the top you can only assume they they have to be satire and and that's saying something because this is generally the an over the top kind of movie but there's moments where characters will be talking within the world of this film and the stakes it's laid out and then something will happen and it cuts to a a, a totally odd scene. For instance, Harry Dean Stanton gets fired from his job and Emilio Estevez is driving him somewhere. They get into an argument and Estevez gets out of the car and starts walking and the whole tone of the film changes. The music changes. He's walking past all this plight on the street and there's a voiceover narrating all this social unrest and you know just everything that's happening at the moment as Estevez just shuffles along with his hands in his pockets looking down at the street you know kicking rocks and shit and yeah. I like that out of the pocket out of nowhere you know thrust of, of tone and whatnot and I, I think the movie's got a lot of fun kind of crazy cool shit like that going for it yeah I don't know I I, I dug this one this this kind of it's kind of the weirdo shit that's in my wheelhouse if it's yeah. Done well, anyway. I don't like a movie that's just weird for weirdness sake, but I think this has a, a vision and uh, something it's trying to accomplish and sell. And and I think it works for the most part. I agree. It uh, took me it, it took me a bit to even figure out <clears throat> if I was going to at first, I was like, this movie's intriguing. Then I was like, this is this is so fucking weird. But then as it as it went on and even thinking about it now, it it's it's an enjoyable film. It it. It's definitely quirky, yeah, but not in a bad way. No, no. I mean, it stays with you. It kind of makes you think about it and yeah. remember it. I don't know why when I watched it however many years ago, it didn't... Maybe I was at the time like, oh, okay, now I see why this is like a cult hit. It's just going to be goofy and weird, and I, I maybe just sure. kind of wrote it off. But it was well-reviewed at the time and is one of these kind of Cold War, Reagan-era takes on class and economy and and all that it still holds up today which i guess is really fucking sad uh there's been <laughs> zero progress in 40 years and you could also argue that maybe we've even gone backwards and some of these things have, have gotten even worse in terms of commentary on like capitalists and greed and corporations and havoc that's wrought on the have-nots and and even the middle class so I won't get on a soapbox about it except to say that it may suck for those of us dealing with it in real life, but it keeps movies like this rather 
evergreen in a way. So despite its dated look and fashions and the music and limited budget and all that stuff, the commentary remains kind of fresh and, and relatable, even in, I guess, just sort of a silly movie like this. But uh, oh, I definitely caught on to some of that, the social commentary going on in the movie, too. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of profound in some ways, but uh, it maybe maybe even it stands out more because it's supposed to just kind of be this silly movie and you don't come to this movie for or these types of movies for that or, or expecting that. And it's just an added benefit of just fun sci-fi punk rock action flick uh like i said mm. it's kind of like they live in that regard it's it's been a genre staple though to mix you know social commentary and and genre flicks going back at least as far as you know like the twilight zone and uh Night yeah. of the living dead and and that's just in terms of you know modern in quotes entertainment i mean those those things are old but we're talking about in the last you know less than 100 years or whatever so i'm sure it i'm sure it goes back even farther than that but but anyway, it's just another one of those, and I think it it works well as that. Ebert gave the film three stars out of a possible four. Uh, he wrote, "I saw Repo Man near the end of a busy stretch of movie or on the movie beat, three days during which I saw more relentlessly bad movies than during any comparable period in memory. Most of wow. these bad movies were so cynically constructed out of formula ideas." and commercial ingredients that watching them was an ordeal. Repo Man comes out of left field, has no big stars, didn't cost much, takes chances, dares to be unconventional, is funny, and works. There's a lesson here. That was me watching this movie after Against All Odds. So <laughs> you can... <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> yeah, sometimes you got to sift through some things to get to the to get to a little gem like this. Well, yeah, I mean, if I watched Against All Odds, I'm like, okay, this is whatever. And then I watched this movie, and I think it made me like it all the more because Against All Odds just does the most sort of hackneyed shit and, and just peters yeah. out. And then here's a movie that just comes at you with both barrels. And love it or hate it, that's something. You know, I, I can I can mm. see not everybody liking this movie, but you can't say it it's unoriginal or not daring. Right. And, different than yeah you can't say they weren't working their ass off to to entertain too now i had completely forgotten that there was a 2010 film called repo men with jude law and forrest whitaker and i assumed yeah i assumed at the time and both now it was a remake or a reboot or some sort of quasi sequel or whatever uh it's not it's it's based on a different source novel and the two don't appear to be connected in, in any way but you got to think that going with that title, they knew this movie has a cult following that to whatever degree might be interested in it, just based in the semi-similar premise and, and damn near exact same title. I don't think that was an accident, uh, but whatever, that movie was a flop and is kind of largely forgotten at this point. Like I said, I'd, I'd completely memory hold it until I was looking up info on this movie and stumbled across it. And I was like, wait, is, is, that, is that supposed to be like a sequel or whatever? It's set in 2025, so maybe it's worth watching just to see how accurately or or as usually the case uh, hilariously inaccurate it gets and it's pretty <laughs> right. but uh, i never understand why these people who make these futuristic movies set them only like 10 or 15 years out because they have to know that they will be immediately dated and laughed at and shit <laughs> like things just don't change that much over a decade or so um right and if you don't believe me, just wait until we get to our, our next film, which is set in uh, 2009. Uh, so, yes, what I was going to say was um, 
I wish this wasn't such a stacked week with other movies because I would have liked to talk about this one, Repo Man, with another near future set, Emilio Estevez action flick, where uh, dubious medical science is involved. Uh, Free Jack from 1992. That movie is fairly maligned, but I also kind of dug it. Uh, at least I did at the time. Uh, I'd like to revisit it and see how I feel about it now. And I think it would have made a good counterpart to this not even a decade later. Uh, Peter, it just so happens that since this is Spinal Tap was unavailable, we had room to add on Free Jack, and we will be discussing that film next. Yep. I did not announce that at the beginning of this podcast, but there's a nice little <laughs> bonus for all of our listeners. You get to hear us talk about the 1992 mostly forgotten <laughs> sci-fi action film Free Jack. But... <laughs> There was a proper sequel to this entitled Repo Chick in 2009. It was written and directed by Alex Cox as well. It was more or less straight to DVD, and uh, I have never seen it, so I don't I don't know if you have. I'm guessing not. I no, I have not. Okay. I did see that he directed a film called Repo Chick, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Also, there <laughs> this is really dumb, and I don't know why I'm bringing it up, but there's a scene in this movie where this guy and his girlfriend or whatever are at the repo place trying to get a car back. And I'm like, dude, that looks just like the guy that I just saw in against all odds. And I look it up and sure the fuck is this guy <laughs> named John St. Elwood who has like one scene in against all odds and no lines. And then he's in this movie and I only recognize him because he had the bald head and the earring. And I look it up and sure enough, he's only in like, 10 movies and two of them <laughs> came out on the same day which is kind of crazy but <laughs> that's awesome yeah all right shout out john st elway yeah Not to be confused with john elway right our, uh, john. Our football theme <laughs> episode exactly yeah it's uh it's, you know super bowl weekend what you gonna do exactly peter free jack came out in january of 1992 and i remember being in Seventh grade, I think, just sitting we, there. Yeah, we're uh, in seventh. Yeah. This is back when I was definitely a, a burgeoning movie buff, and some shit like this was right up my alley. I remember the the poster and the movie ads and all that stuff. I, I don't know when it exactly started for me, where I was just really into that shit, like just every weekend looking at all the you know the ads in the paper and, and yeah. all that. Yeah, the this Friday was, Let's Go section of the paper yeah. was one hundred percent. This was right in that time frame. I remember being in, I think, like an art class or music class or something, and talking to some other kids in in the class about Free Jack. That was the movie I wanted to see that weekend. I don't think that I ever saw this one in the theater. I think I had to wait for video for it, but. Yeah, I watched it quite a bit at the time, maybe one other time in the last 35 years. Uh, I don't know about you. Have you seen it before? Or? I Yeah, I saw it once in the theater with my brothers at the Prospect Mall, and that was my one and only time seeing it. Wow. And so, uh, yeah, I wasn't blown away by it the first time I saw it, I, and um, I'll get more into that, but... Really? I, I don't know if I'd say I, I was blown away by it, but I always liked it. And I was a yeah. lot less discriminating back then, uh, even though sure. I still had my little junior critics hat on and I would pick apart a bunch of shit. But and, and this movie, I realized, was no great shakes, but I think it, it had enough in it that I liked certain yeah. scenes, some some style. The director is Jeff Murphy. He did Young Guns 2, which I loved and still loved. I, I yeah, me too. 
fucking gorgeous. Um, yeah. And he also did Under Siege 2 with Seagal, which uh, is one of his better... It's funny to call that later period Seagal, because it was... You know, we think of him as basically being done in the year 2001 or whatever, so that was like, yeah. like mid-career Seagal, but it was definitely yeah. at the end of his... It's probably his last big theatrical hit, unless you count Exit Wounds, which is kind of an outlier and uh, happens five or six years later. But uh, anyway, I Jeff Murphy's a, a solid, decent director. Um, this movie's got some of his trademark stuff. The effects are the worst part, I think, then and now. They continue to look like... I don't know if you remember the movie Lawnmower Man or yeah, I do. Yeah, the, the virtual reality. Yeah, yeah. Well, this one isn't yeah. even trying to posit that. It's just the its idea of the look what of it, it. Yeah, what it looks like to go into someone's mind or whatever is just a bunch mm-hmm. of like shit flying at you and swirling around and opening into like other <laughs> vistas and it's just it's it's very yeah. very lame. But just to preface this, the reason I mentioned a little bit on uh, when we were talking about Repo Man, but the reason I want to do this, number one, it stars Emilio Estevez. And number two, just Repo Man was kind of giving me some of the, the same vibes in terms of character and the idea of... Th- this movie isn't really about time travel, but there is a component to it where the Emilio Estevez character, he's a race car driver. He has this big race and there's an accident. And his car crashes in spectacular fashion. That's a pretty cool scene, actually. So much so that yeah, they absolutely. use it in true romance with Brad Pitt sitting there <laughs> watching TV getting stoned. And, um, <laughs> you know, it flies off the track up into the bridge above and explodes and looks great. The There's some people in the future of the whopping year of 2009 <laughs> 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 who who at the time of his death immediately take his body and bring it to their time. And the plan is to erase his memory and implant another guy's memory into it. And then that person will get to live out the rest of their life in Emilio Estevez's body while still being their own mind and psyche and all that. Does that make sense? Yes. I know I'm not saying yes. who it is and all that. Well, we'll get to it. But but anyway, yeah, we'll so for whatever reason, the, the little bit of Emilio Estevez, the sci-fi thing, Repo Man made me think of Free Jack and how I had not seen it in a long time. And it would be nice to revisit it. And again, since Spinal Tap was kind of off the table here, figured why the hell not. So I think you made the right call. Well, I'm sure it's not better than Spinal Tap. but <laughs> Right. But a good audible. How, and yeah. Keeping on the football plain field oh yeah yeah hey did we ever rate repo man three stars oh we did not three stars okay <laughs> there we go ding <laughs> so sms is a race car driver in, in this one in, in free jack day of the big race he has an accident instead of dying he's transported into the dystopian future of 2009 by mick jagger who is the syndic <laughs> he's the head of a group known as bone jackers you can argue that he's perhaps not cut out to be in a big action movie but he does have some great line readings like when he says get the meat i thought that was pretty <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah i i have some thoughts on jagger that i'll i'll wait save yeah. till the end but he you could you could say he's kind of crappy in this but i was into him and uh again nobody nobody says get the meat quite the way he does so, <laughs> so if nothing right. else Worth putting Mick in this film just for that. The tech in this film, uh, you know, yeesh. The computers, 
TVs, you know, this. Yeah. instead of coming up with, I don't expect them to figure out what GPS was going to look like 20 years later or whatever, but this is one of those movies where Mick Jagger's like driving along and he's got his little handheld uh, Palm Pilot or whatever it, it is. And it's this big cumbersome metal thing with a huge frame around. And then on the screen, the map is like, just like the outline of a coastline. And it just says shit like Lower East Side on it or Upper <laughs> South Side. Like there's no, <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, it's a little like little dot just going beep, beep, beep. And that's how they, I mean, this is the shit they were coming up with 50 years before this movie came out as what would be considered futuristic. It's, it's insane how <laughs> right. little imagination this movie has. The cars are all these big bulbousy, oblong, <laughs> shiny bubbles on wheels with gullwing doors and uh, or or they're those like SWAT style kind of lumbering metal tanks and stuff that the I, I don't even call them cops these guys are just they're essentially a paid security force there's that dumb lobotomizer gun too that has this weird little like flangey <laughs> thing sticking off it that apparently will just jab willy-nilly into somebody's head but it also fires lasers that can be used as like a weapon and fucking shit like that's <laughs> yeah. crazy there's bad looking holograms about the only thing it gets right is the large wall mounted kind of widescreen TVs. And then there's a laptop though. It's intimated that Jagger can open the one he's talking to SMS <laughs> on from his own yeah. after SMS closes yeah. it. Like they're having this argument via their laptops. And SMS is like, fuck you shut up. And he closes the top and then Jagger pops it over and goes, ha, 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 which is fucking weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's very, <laughs> This movie did not foresee the concept of the phone booth becoming extinct. They just added like a video screen to them. Uh, and everything else is just, just big square lights and switches on metallic boxes. And I don't, I don't think this would have looked high tech in 1992, Never mind 2009. Uh, and <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking with the, the design of this film, but like I said, yeesh. <laughs> one of the one of the reasons I and, and this has nothing to do with the technology, which is which is not good, like we said. But the one of my original problems with this movie back in '92 was that it was so like grainy and dark, and it just did not. I know it's supposed to be the dystopian future, but just right. the way it was filmed and the yeah. way it looked, it's ugly. The, yep. Yeah, it's ugly. Dank, dank is dank. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Rene Russo is Estevez's girlfriend. They're not super convincing together, mostly due to their, their dialogue. You know, Russo says shit like, you are nuts! And it's just because he asked her to, like, nibble his ear. Um, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> the the movie's really trying to establish that he's this kind of wild-eyed daredevil and stuff like that. And and she's good. She's And actually, pretty much everybody is good in this movie. There's not really a, like, terrible performance or anything. And, and Rene Russo is about as reliably solid as they come and she's doing her best in this one and uh, she's fine but i didn't really buy them too much and then even when he dies and she's devastated and then we flash forward 18 years and she kind of reconnects with him uh they they go through all the beats well enough of her being you know first she doesn't believe it and then she's completely fucking traumatized and doesn't know what to believe and then she's all in on getting back with him but I don't know. The stakes just don't really feel like they're there for these two. Like they could have easily like walked away and just found somebody else. And I would have been like, yeah, you guys are at way different points in your life. So that probably makes the most sense. It's the, the movie trying to like force them back together seems a little. (laughs) Yeah. I totally agree with that. 
Anyway, the big race, Jager orchestrates Estevez's death and transports his body to 2009. Now, here's here's one question. Do you think it, it, they kind of show him almost like Jager causes the crash, but do you think they're just in the future and know he was going to die anyway, so they knew the moment to, quote, bone jack his body and uh, take it into the future? What, what like what happened? Yeah. There? Did they kill Estevez or was Estevez always going to have that? Accident? I was I'm guessing that he dies either way in that part. That was that was part was bound to happen and they got wind of it. Don't weren't they like lining up the tires of the cars, though? To I, I don't know if that was them just like their tech is how they were like sinking up to grab him or it, it kind of looked like they were causing the. The accident. Causing the accident, yeah. I would have to go well, back and be. watch it again. That's the way I always took it. Right. Because, like I said, I haven't seen this movie in 30 years or, or more, but I at the, I remember watching it quite a bit when I was younger, when it once it hit video. And by quite a bit, I mean maybe five times or something. But I, I watched yeah. it throughout 92 a handful of times. And now, granted, my seventh grade brain probably wasn't <laughs> super <laughs> in tune with every plot point nuance or whatever, but I thought... They were intimating that Jagger caused that crash, but see now I'd have to rewatch. I I didn't even I didn't even think about that. Like, does he? Yeah, yeah does he die already? And that they well, just knew that that happened in history. And and why him? Well, because well, they explain why him. All right, so, okay, yeah, 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 you get to it. Yeah, so, all right, so, so anyway, uh, Jager, uh, whether he orchestrates or, or does not, uh, he, he, they're aware, I guess, of the death, and and uh, th- they use that to transport his body to 2009, where Jager's dying boss, played by Anthony ha- Hopkins, wants to put his mind into Estevez's body so he can live on, uh, and he just so happens to have a thing for Rene Russo, who uh, they don't do a convincing job of making look 18 years older. Uh, if they were even <laughs> trying at all. I don't even know. It's it's barely even mentioned or addressed. There's one scene where she says something like, I'm much older now or something like that. And he's like, you're beautiful. And that's that's literally yeah. all they, they touch on with it. <laughs> Estevez escapes and becomes what is known as a free jack or an escapee of this, this program. Amanda Plummer has a part in here as a vigilante nun, which is crazy, but okay. And, and fills <laughs> Estevez in on the concept of a free Jack and no current listing for Russo's character. Well, as the fact that New York city and all of its suburbs has descended into a violent, polluted drug addled decay. I thought the, the production design was pretty good in this regard. I know, like you said, it's kind of, it's kind of grimy and grungy and, and whatever, but it, it sells the idea that this is a shit future and, and everything went to hell and, uh, again, kind of crazy that in 18 years, this was the, the movie's posits. This is what <laughs> we're going to yeah. be living in, but <laughs> right, whatever. Yeah, everyone's good in this. I mentioned Jagger. Uh, his, his costume with the goofy helmet is less than flattering. But other than that, I, I like the scene between him and Isai Morales where Jagger gives Morales what's essentially a lie detector test. And Morales says, I can't believe you test me. And Jagger says, I'm not testing you. I'm testing the machine. <laughs> yeah. Then he's, yeah. Then he says like, yeah. do it on all the others. <laughs> but he's like, Oh, and it works. Cause the guy passed. So I wonder what he would have said if it, if it didn't work, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Um, I like the scene with, uh, David Johansson's in this, uh, you know, he double crosses Estevez and, you know, I, I think it's cool how he hides his real apartment behind a camouflage of, of squalor and junk. Yeah. I like that too. Nice scene. Jonathan Banks is in this. Most people probably know him from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul these days, but 
back in the 80s and 90s, he would pop up in movies like this all the time. Um, he's a solid creep as always. And you got Grandel Bush from uh, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, mm-hmm. and Demolition Man in here. Oh, speaking of, fuck, I forgot to mention this. I, today, speaking of what we were talking about in Repo Man, that little scene with um, Tracy Walter. Uh, yeah, Tracy Walter talking about how, hey, isn't it weird how you you say something or you see somebody and then all of a sudden it pops up? Yeah. Grandel Bush watched Free Jack last night. Twelve hours later, I'm uh, on Twitter and some guy does a review of the first season of uh, Renegade. And there is Grandel Bush with Lorenzo Lamas. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, how often does Grandel Bush pop up on Twitter and why did it happen? <laughs> right. The day after <laughs> How many people even know about Grandel Bush? <laughs> it's not like, okay, well, your phone listens to you. Well, his name isn't in the headline. I just recognize him from this picture. You got to yeah. go into the article to even. So come on, man. Don't tell me there's not. Uh, what did what did they call it? Uh, some layer of consciousness or whatever. Yeah. I, <laughs> I believe that was the word. Yeah. Good, good cast. Um, and I like the aspect of the whole, you know, Imagine you're Estevez. You wake up, you think you've just been injured and you're in the hospital. Next thing you know, you're, I mean, people are hunting you and shit and it's 18 years later. And for you, it's been two days and he goes and sees Renee Russo and she's like, it's, it's been 18 years. And he's like, it's, it's been two days for me. (laughs) Yeah. That's a, that's a crazy aspect of movies like this. So I like the ending. I like the screwing around with the, the Hopkins character and whether or not he's able to complete the mind meld with Estevez. And I like how Jonathan Banks gets his. I like how uh, Jagger and Estevez kind of form a weird little bond or friendship. It doesn't ring true or really hold new water, but still, <laughs> right. it was it's yeah, fun it's, to watch play out. Yeah. So I, I totally neat. agree. I was, that was, that was neat to see. And I'd totally forgotten about that aspect of it. Um, as for Jagger, can I can I touch on Jagger? Yeah, yeah I was just um, about to say you had thoughts yeah. on Jagger. You, yeah. You First of all, Jagger, shout out to uh, shout out to Jerry Hall. Um, yeah, she's who, in here too. I had only ever seen her in Batman. And speaking of Tracy Walter, we got, yeah, we got we got two Batman alums and yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, I, yeah. Jagger to me was he was just fine. I know he got. I remember him getting a lot of grief back then. But the movie itself was kind of a bomb anyways. Not a bomb, yeah. but it was pretty panned. Uh, but I thought he was just fine in this. I thought there was times I was cracking up at his lines and his demeanor when the when one of the guys blows up and he just lands right in front of him. Jagger just kind of looks yeah. down at him and steps over his dead corpse. And Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought yeah, he was He's doing fine. exactly what he's supposed to be doing. Yes. Part. There's nothing embarrassing. I guess you could argue he seems maybe a little sleepy or something but i think that's just the choice he used for the character but i i did like every once in a while he'd get this sort of wily grin on his face you know like only jager can have with his big mouth and <laughs> teeth and everything like yeah. like at the very end when uh they, when emilio estevez has tried to fool everybody into believing that hopkins pulled off the mind meld thing mm-hmm. and then what, what happens he like kind of pulls him over and says i, I knew you would make a mistake and then he goes, uh, uh, Hopkins couldn't drive. And oh. <laughs> then Rene Russo, Rene Russo's like, well, how did, you know, how did you get the, the code? You know, the right? code. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Jager goes, he didn't, I lied. He wasn't even close. And he just says this, <laughs> that know, Jagger grin. grin on his yeah. Face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was having really fun with it. Yeah. 
exactly. And there was there were a couple other parts like that too, where he just you knew he was delivering the big line of the scene or, or yeah. whatever, and he was a lot of fun. I think we should also, uh, since we've now touched on two Estevez movies, and and he's been in the Outsiders too. I I don't know how much we've talked about him and what our thoughts are on him, but I've always I've always enjoyed him, especially obviously his later work. There isn't much to speak of, but he always has that. Uh, there's there's a couple scenes in this where he kind of has that smart ass laugh that I really love that he that he does. There's yeah. a scene where uh, Rene Russo slaps Jonathan Banks and then Estevez just gets in his face and laughs and walks away. Yeah. And I, I always love you know that's the the Billy the Kid laugh from. Young I was gonna Gun. say he's definitely yeah. just doing Billy the Kid only in a in a modern day thing. And this movie even has some Western elements too. They put him in this you know long kind of trench coat and the a derby hat or whatever. Yeah, the derby hat. Yeah, made, made yeah. me think of he Young looks, Guns too. Yeah. Like you said, his attitude is last. There's even a scene where. Uh, much like in Young Guns 2, he is sitting at a table with somebody and somebody pulls out a gun. Oh, yeah. And he pulls out his gun and sets it on the table. And it's not a not a six shooter, but right. it's it's exactly the same scene. And, and again, he works with Jeff Murphy again, who did Young Guns 2. Uh, this is the next year, basically. So, uh, yeah, it, you can definitely tell they were just uh, rolling with that. Uh, right. And yeah, I like SMS too. I mean, he kind of kind of does the same thing same attitude but it's it's one that works it's fairly unique to him um he's like i said got that kind of cocky wide-eyed wild-eyed just over the topness to everything he does and yep and that's great and you know yeah i don't yeah he didn't really find a way to parlay that into older age i can't think of anything he's done in in quite a while but yeah i don't i remember he did a oh, yeah. he, he directed i think he went into directing a little bit and i know he did a movie about the RFK assassination. I think he's in it too, but I know he directs it, but yeah. Um, he directed a movie in, I don't know, it's like 86 or something with Demi Moore called wisdom, which oh, really? was, a, was a bomb. Yeah. But so yeah, he was doing that from a pretty young age and, and then there's stuff like mighty ducks and judgment night and all that. But I mean, that stuff is even early nineties. It's, yeah. Oh, I remember that <clears throat> box for wisdom. I didn't, God, I didn't realize he was directing already at that point. Yeah, I mean, it didn't, uh, didn't blow audiences away. Or, yeah. <laughs> no. So working backwards here, in 2018, he was in something called The Public, 2010, The Way. So there's an eight-year gap there. Bobby, I think, is the movie you're referring to. Yes. 2006. 96, D3, The Mighty Ducks 3. <laughs> it's also a Mission Impossible and an uncredited role. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. Right at the beginning, I think. 94 d2 93 judgment night another stakeout little weapon one yeah i mean he just whatever happens after the mid 90s i don't i don't know with him and he's got some television stuff he could have aged into you know found some role like Kiefer sutherland did on 24 or you know charlie Mm -hmm. sheen on um, spin city or two and a half men or whatever it is you know it's just weird he didn't find himself something along those lines even kevin bacon did some you know tv series and tried to kind of get on that Kiefer Sutherland wavelength and but Kevin Bacon still churns out movies pretty regularly so I don't know maybe it was partly his choice partly his choosing yeah I'm thinking that too interview a month after the 2010 Oscar tribute to John Hughes he explained his absence as publicity shyness never been a guy that went out there to get publicity on myself I never saw value in that Hmm. it's definitely different Mm -hmm. than his brother was (laughs) 
Yeah, no shit. <laughs> There's no real uh, clues in his personal life stuff either. In 92, he married singer-choreographer Paul Abdul. They filed for divorce in May of 94. She alluded to the reason that she wanted children, while Estevez, who already had two children, did not. That's literally the end of his personal life trajectory back in the 90s. Yeah, it's like <laughs> 30 years motherfucker ago. just didn't come out of the 90s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe he thought Bobby was going to be his big back to... You know, right break as a director or, or kind of getting that second half of his career off the ground but obviously just didn't happen i don't know but yeah i i like him too and i, I always have so well i'll say hopkins this is the same year that he won the oscar for yeah. science of the lambs although that came out almost a year, a year yeah. prior to this yeah, yeah. but the oscars hadn't happened yet by the time this movie came out or or anything but He's fine in this. Uh, you know, it's it's a very small part. He probably spent a couple days shooting his scenes. Right. And probably got a fat and paycheck. And... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He, he lends it a little bit of gravitas, but it's whatever. It could have been anybody. Yeah. Role, but <laughs> it's cool he did that because you can damn near bet that had this movie come out a year later, he would not be in it. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, like, I like Jagger. I like Estevez. I like Russo, I like the supporting cast, like we were talking about, Jonathan Banks and Buster Poindexter, David David Johansson. David Johansson, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this movie was way better on second viewing than than the first one. I didn't hate it the first time I saw it. I just remember it kind of just going through my brain and and kind of escaping once I left the theater um, and not really thought about it much. But yeah, upon second viewing. For for me, too. I I don't know, but I I watched it a lot more than you, but it, again, it was way back when. So I was like the box. I thought the box was cool. Um, yes. So back in the day when I was just buying VHSs that I could get previously viewed cheap, you know, movies I even sort of half liked. I, uh, uh, this was one of them that I grabbed just because it's like, that's a cool box. I want that on my shelf, you know, with the other yeah. ones or whatever. <laughs> and Warner Brothers had these great boxes that all kind of fit together and, and look great sitting next to one another. When, so uh, that was another other thing but anyway uh yeah watching it now i would go three stars on this i mean it's obviously dumb and silly and it's got problems and it, it kind of looks shitty in spots and, and everything and I'm, I'm not sure i really buy the the premise that much but yeah. whatever i don't care it's just about it's it's fun watching these guys yeah it's fun well yep. i would give it three stars as well all right well another week where we just agree on everything <laughs> <laughs> What did you give? Uh, did you give it against all odds two stars? Was that your final rating? I gave it two, yeah. All right. And I gave it two and a half, so we're a little different there. I thought you said you were going back down to two. Um, I think you were you were trending me that way. No, I'm, I, two and a half is my... I'm still sticking with that. I had, At first, I was leaning towards three, but two and a half was my initial when you asked me at the beginning. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know what to tell you there. If you'd have given it three, we'd have... That one, yeah, that would have been. We'd have had more issue. trouble. Yeah, we'd have yeah. had some Cujo issues, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you want to do the um, box office, sir? We got two weeks, two different weeks to go through. Um, do you want to quiz me on '84? Do we even need to do it? Yeah, we should just so we can see what they these movies did. Maybe, um, yeah, where they felt. Do you want me do to you quiz want me you to on '92? Like I, I, tri- I quiz you on it. Uh, yeah, or if you think yeah. you'd rather do that, it's up to you. No, I'll 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 quiz you. You do you do me for eighty four. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
weekend box office march 2nd 1984 all right here we go okay peter the number one film is in its third week of release all right it's down five percent this week it's already up to 24.6 million dollars did we do it for the pod? I'm assuming we did. We did. Okay, third week, so this has got to be loose, foot loose. <laughs> everybody cut, everybody cut. Yeah. <laughs> Cutting checks to Paramount for 6.3 million bucks this weekend is what's going on. <laughs> Woo! Uh, number two is a new film this week. We did it on the pod. Ooh, ooh, I know. 3.7. <laughs> Um, this has got to be against all odds. It is. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of something clever to say about the song from that film. So take a look that, at me now. Thank you. Take a look at take a look at against all odds now. <laughs> it made 3.7 mil this weekend. <laughs> what did it make um, total? I'm sorry, you told me before. What did it make total? Its budget was thirteen million. It made twenty-seven, or I'm sorry, twenty-one point seven. That's domestic only. I don't know what it made overseas, but I'm guessing not a ton. So yeah, yeah. it didn't quite double it. So not a not a huge hit or anything. But it's got. I mean, it only opened at three point seven, so it's got a way to go to to hit. What did I say? Twenty-one. Yeah, twenty-one. Anyway. Number three is a film also in its third week. We did it for the pod. Uh, it's got a Surprisingly robust $11 million gross, considering the type of movie it is, but... You said we did do it for the pod? We did. Uh, it's down 21%. And it's in its second week? Third. So we must have did it with Loose Foot Loose. I don't know, Peter. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> well, all right, no, that was I do. I do know, but I'm not going to, like... Oh. I'm not going to help you out any more than that. Just... <laughs> Is it Blame It on Rio? It's Blame It on Rio. All right. So far, we have two movies with iconic songs and then Blame It on Rio with the worst fucking soundtrack. Worst. I'm, I'm assuming the year. Like, <laughs> that, yeah. that soundtrack yeah. is so bad. It's really bad. Uh, number four, we did not do for the pod. This is also in its third week. So we talked about it with uh, Footloose and Blame It on Rio. This one stars a future... TV star and still TV star. Um, 11.8 million so far. So it came out the same week as Footloose and yep. Blame It on Rio. Yep. We didn't do it for the pod. Uh, I have no idea. Lassiter with Tom. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's one of those ones I just keep the title just yeah flows through my brain and flies out <laughs> number five we did do for the pod it's in its fourth week of release it is down 16 percent, up to 14 million not a whole lot else i can say about this without giving it away we both liked <laughs> it uh fifth week of release fourth fourth uh, is this unfaithfully yours it is unfaithfully yours all right number six is a film that made your 10 best list of 1983. So Terms of Endearment. Indeed. Number seven is a new film we have not discussed, and I don't know what it is. Um, 
it makes 1.9 million this weekend. Uh, I, I don't uh, I click on this uh, and see what happens, <laughs> but, um, I remember there being, you know, five or six other movies coming out this week, but I don't remember the names of any of them. This movie, uh, oh, hmm, this is interesting. Paul Newman is your star. Okay. And Robbie Benson. Paul Newman and Robbie Benson, okay. He, he's a, Paul Newman's a construction worker and a widower. Uh, he's a no-frills kind of guy, but his artistically inclined son, Howard, wants to be a writer, causing a rift between the two. Man. Back in the days when just being a writer was considered like eccentric weirdo <laughs> yeah. shit. <thing>. Um, <laughs> although Howard makes attempts at finding a regular job, he can't help but return to his daydreaming tendencies as Howard reconnects with his ex-girlfriend, uh, played by Ellen Barkin. Harry becomes hmm. closer with her mother, Lily, Joanne Woodward. So it's got Joanne Woodward too. Bringing both men some degree of happiness. This movie only made $4.8 million at the box office. Also I mean, features Morgan called? Freeman, Wilford Brimley. Oh, Judith uh, Ivey's in it, too. So wow. She's got two bombs in a row, and Ozzie <laughs> Davis is in this. Oh, nice. Yeah, um, yeah I have no idea what it's called, though. This movie is called Harry and Son. You Harry and Son. Nope, not at all. Uh, number eight is a movie we did not do for the pod that we keep saying we should have done. It sounds like it's right up our alley. It keeps like climbing and grosses somehow. Right, right now it's up thirty nine percent. It's plus eighty nine theaters and its fifth week of release. It's up to seven point five million. It makes like twenty one. This is the one with the sailors on yeah. weekend weekend pass. Indeed. Number nine, a similar bunch of bullshit that keeps hanging around and doesn't it didn't come out of the gate until like week nineteen. Uh, this is a Walt Disney film. Oh yeah, the uh, twenty-three point seven now. Never is that Never Cry Wolf? Is that what Never it's called? Never Cry Wolf, correct. All right. Number ten is your uh, astronaut drama that I always assume won the the best picture that year. <laughs> yeah. The right stuff. Yeah, this movie I'm guessing has just got a re-release for Oscar season. Oscar uh, season. Yep. Yeah, it's in twenty weeks of release. Some other stuff. Uh, Eleven is Angel, up to eleven point two million. Still hanging. Twelve Broadway, Danny Rose, eight point two million. Silkwood, thirty two point five million. Scarface finally overtakes Sun Impact. That's at forty something million. Sun Impact is a couple spots down. It's at sixty six point four million. You got the Big Chill still hanging around. Probably also a Oscar. Re-release, 23 weeks. It's up to 54.8. Repo Man opens at number 26. Oh, Jesus. $95,000. It's only in 39 theaters, though. Okay. Also new this week, this is Spinal Tap. Three theaters, (laughs) $30,000. One week in release. Number 29. That obviously grows in popularity. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars, uh, Return of the Jedi, 41 weeks in release, 252 million bucks. Number 25 this week. All right. That is your weekend box office for March 2nd, 1984. And I guess we're going to look at Free Jack's weekend, which was what? January something of 92? January 17th, 1992. 
Um, I always think of that as a kick... 91 film. It's hard to believe it. Yeah, I mean, it's basically but... a 91 yeah, film. Yeah, I know. It's just, yeah. in, my, in my head, it's one of those that I get confused a lot. Right. All right, are you ready? I guess so. Okay, number one is a, well, it's a Walt Disney was the distributor, but I think it was Touchstone Pictures. Uh, it's in its second okay. week of release. Uh, it was a fairly big movie. It was a, uh, um, not a horror movie per se, but kind of a, I guess you'd call it a horror film. It went on to make $88 million in the box office. Um, not a traditional horror movie, but... Um, so this came out in January of... Yes, it came out the week 92? before. Yep. All right. Give me something about the plot. Uh, babysitter. Oh, this would be the hand that rocks the cradle. Yep. Nicely done. Thanks. You're welcome. Well, thank you for the um, touchstone uh, thing because that's what yeah. put me over the over the top there. Yeah, I don't like that it says Walt Disney, but I suppose touchstone wouldn't. It wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, number two is new this week. Also new yeah. this week, I should say. Um, <clears throat> it is, uh, we have not done it for the pod. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, it is a Paramount Pictures urban drama, teenage urban drama. Is this a juice? This is juice. Wow. Yeah. Pulled that out of my ass. <laughs> Once again, Paramount, <laughs> Paramount helped. Yeah. And urban. Yeah. <laughs> But. $8 million this weekend made $20 million. Um, okay. Number three is in its sixth week of release. Uh, it was number two last week. Um, it's a Sony Pictures. I don't know if that helps because I don't guarantee it wasn't that at the time. Um, Probably like Columbia Pictures or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It um, made uh, $300 million worldwide. What? <laughs> uh... <laughs> So obviously a big movie from '91. Uh, Hook. Yep. yep. Hook. Okay. Insane. Three hundred yeah. million worldwide. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's considered a flop. We've had this conversation before. I think it was on that yeah. Boy Scout thing. Yep. Good. Uh, number four is new this week, and it is Reject! Oh, yes. <laughs> ding 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 ding. <laughs> Took a um, shot. What if there were more than uh, you know one new movie? But... Right. <laughs> Now this says it made seventeen million. I thought Wikipedia said it made like thirty-seven million dollars, but sometimes this numbers site is well. That wonky. could be worldwide. I thought yeah. actually, I was surprised to see that. I thought it was a bigger flop than that, so I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if it, you know, made more overseas. But it right. wasn't really a time where that was happening, so I don't know. But yeah, um, number five is in its fifth week of release. Uh, it is a Walt Disney Films. Uh, not not a animated. Uh, it is a comedy that went on to make ninety million dollars huh. and features. Oh, so December. Ahead. So December of yeah ninety one. Uh, let's see. So Pretty Woman was ninety. It's not bad. Um, it's a comedy. It's a comedy. Yep. From Disney. Is this Father of the Bride? This is Father of the Bride. Man, you're nice. kicking ass on this shit. No. I mean, <laughs> this this was what I was learning instead of uh, arithmetic. School, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Instead of ever figuring out how to do algebra, I was sitting here right. mastering box office numbers. Same, bro. Same. <laughs> um, 
the number six film is in its fourth week of release. So another December of 91 film. Uh, this went on to make about $75 million. It is a drama from Sony Pictures. Um, uh, I think it got some, uh, maybe some Oscar nominations. I believe it did. So some 1991 Oscar nominations. Sony Pictures drama. Probably, probably Columbia again. Yeah, right. Um, Gonna need a little more than that. Um, uh, give me a, just a little bit about the story. Or maybe give me a director. I, I don't know. Don't give me a star. Me, no, I won't give you a star. Uh, let's see if director does the trick. Um, hold on. The oh, <laughs> if I say the director, it's gonna give it away because this person is also in the movie. Okay. Well, don't say that then. Um, although, let me think of somebody who would be. This I'm trying to think of one other. Uh, man goes to see a psychiatrist. Oh fuck! Sure, this is um, the Prince of Tides. This is the Prince of Tides. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. I <clears> all right. That way before that. Yeah, that's all right. I don't know. What, I don't know what else you could have said, but there had to be some middle yeah. ground between spoiling <laughs> that it was the lady. You're right. And that she directed <laughs> it. But, I don't know. I don't know where I would have gone with that. I don't think I've ever seen that movie, to tell you the truth. I haven't either. I've seen parts of it, and Nick Nolte's yeah. acting isn't... I don't know if he's meant for those kind of movies, but that's yeah. for another time. Um, <clears throat> number seven is in its fourth week of release. Um, okay. It's a 20th Century Fox film. It's a drama. We've discussed the director um, a few times, and we've discussed a few of the stars of this film Many a time, in fact, I think we would like to do it for a bonus episode. And it's a straight drama with a pretty good oh. cast. Yeah, this would be uh, Grand Canyon? This would be Grand Canyon. I love on to make... Yeah, that's a great one. $32 million in America, $40 million worldwide. That's pretty good. What's the budget? Yeah. Um, you don't know. You probably don't have it there. It's fine. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I, I just I, I always <laughs> thought that was considered kind of a flop, but I think thirty-two million for an adult skewing. I was gonna say drama guarantee the like budget. Is, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> number eight is in its fifth week of release. It's a Warner Brothers film. Friday night's a great no, night for great football. Night. You can feel <laughs> it in the air. No, that's not it. Party um, time! It. What? It's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> this is a much more serious film. Oh, that's right. Um, this would have been probably uh, seven weeks after the last Boy Scout. That was like December yeah. 13th or something. So Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so we're at like five, six weeks out. Okay, um, so this is a much more serious film yep. from Warner big Brothers. Oscar, big Oscar-nominated uh, film. Big Oscar player. Is this JFK? This is JFK, yep. Made $205 million worldwide. This is back when I could nail a lot of movies based on like the fucking studio that put just a studio you know? yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i can just picture like a, a video box and go oh yeah yeah but... yeah <laughs> number nine is in its 10th week of release it is a walt disney film animation beauty and the beast correct okay and number 10 a movie that i remember seeing on its opening weekend it's in its second week of release it's a universal pictures Action comedy. Second week, Universal, so that means it kind of flopped, huh? Yes. So it's a 
2000 or sorry it's a 1992 film yeah yeah january 10th of 92 it came out what is it universal yeah cuffs mm-hmm fuck <laughs> that, i can't believe you fucking got that just off universal and action comedy holy yeah shit. well and and 92 yeah but yeah, yeah. And that you remember seeing it. I mean, you and I have talked about Cuffs. I mean, it's been years, but I know we both kind of right. liked it. That's the one I wonder if I watch now, if I'd still like it. I watched yeah, it I again maybe it like since... 15, 20 years ago, and I was already starting yeah. to be like, okay, I still like the stuff I like about this, and but it was like definitely a, a, a guilty pleasure type thing. I was like, yeah, this right. movie does is not <laughs> good. But when it, when it like eighth grade, I was legitimately like, yeah, this is an awesome fucking movie, and I watched it a whole lot, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, who knows? I don't yeah. know how I feel about it now. I know it's got a, a bit of a cult following out there. And again, that's weird because I just heard somebody reference that out of the blue yesterday or today or something. And I commented on their post and I was like, yeah, you still love that movie when I was a kid. And here I nice. are fucking talking about it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't know. Three yep. movies in the same amount of time it took us to do two last week. Yep. Although last week we spent some time talking about Carl Weathers. The week before that we rattled off another eight movies or something we watched. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking uh, of that, you seen anything new this week? I haven't. I just watched last boy scout and I don't uh, know something else I'd seen. I just watched something like two nights ago and yeah. I can't think of it now. Of course. Son of a, Oh, Oh, um, the night or oh, 19, I think it's 2010 Jennifer Lawrence vehicle winter's bone. Oh, yeah. I had never seen before. Uh, not I a bad movie. movie. Yeah, yeah. It, not 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 bad at all. A little a little uh, playing to stereotypes and and stuff. But Jennifer Lawrence yeah. is certainly fantastic in it, and it's it's yeah, a, it's pretty hardcore drama. Yeah, breakout role. Yep. Yeah. 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 She's very good in that. I'm glad I thought of it. That would have pissed me off. Not to be confused with, uh, and I'm going to fuck up the title, but it's also good. It's Jeremy Renner and uh, Elizabeth Olsen, Winter yes, um, Edge, or um, Wind River. Wind River, I think it's called. Wind River, yeah. That's a great yeah. movie. Yeah, it is. It's good. That's That was a time where there was like a lot of those kind of neo-noir western yes. kind of like nocturnal animals and hell or high water. and yeah. All that God, stuff. 2017. Yeah. I would have thought that was longer ago, but man, there's a terrific movie with that nobody ever seems to have heard of with uh, Don Johnson and um, uh, who's the guy who plays Dexter? Um, uh, C. No. C. Michael Hall or Michael, whatever. Uh, yeah, Anthony Michael Green. No, Hall. not Anthony. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> Michael but, C. Uh, Hall is it? Yeah. Yes, but yeah, it's called In Cold Blood. Terrific movie. Again, falls into that sort of category same time same year as those other ones yeah there's this movie called joe with nicholas cage that's terrific um i know i'm missing some blue rune is amazing like there, there there was just this span of a year or two where they just had a bunch of movies all in that sort of same uh kind of tonal vibe they're they're almost like yeah westerns modern day westerns and just, just really good shit i wish that uh hollywood would have continued with that trend a little longer but but anyway, there you go. There's a five great recommendations for our listeners right there. Go check all that. There you go. Out and maybe someday we can do a, a pod with a couple of those because sure. that's going to be 30 years from now that we end up talking <laughs> <Right>. about. <laughs> uh, next week, we have uh, uh, 
both are I just checked that both are available on various <laughs> okay. platforms so we can advertise it. Yeah. Go ahead. All right, next week we will be doing the horror movie Children of the Corn and the Tom Hanks John Candy Daryl Hannah comedy Splash, the Ron Howard directorial not debut but it Ron Howard directed. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice, <laughs> nice juxtaposition of uh, something Complete, you know, two things that are completely, yeah, completely different. Uh, yep. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, we'll if if this is Spinal Tap all of a sudden becomes readily available, we will throw that one in there too. We're not going to not watch this is Spinal Tap. I was absolutely uh, excited to finally revisit it, and I was disappointed that it didn't work out. Yeah. Um, who knows? Like I said, maybe I will just pick up a five dollar DVD or something, and yeah, and I can it. borrow it. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. All right, Peter. Uh, Good, uh, solid talk as always, and um, efficient. We're Absolutely. Very efficient. <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> Look at us go. I hope we're doing these movies go. justice. I feel like we really glossed over free video. But to be fair, that was a like 11th hour replacement. You know. Oh, free jack? Yeah. 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 What did I say? Oh, no, I, I, I thought you meant we glossed over all the movies, but. No, no, no I, free jack. But yeah. Yeah. No, I think we did it justice. Yeah, we got to we had to put in our uh, second string quarterback for that one, but that's okay. <laughs> just, just keep Football. the metaphors rolling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really Listeners? bummed to see that uh oh. Last Boy Scout was not in that anywhere in that top if not 10 like 15 or whatever just 6 weeks in release yeah. at that point. I thought it was going to pop up. Something was weird about that, right? Yeah. I know that's when I saw it was around Oh, I saw it in like February of '92, I think. Really, still in the theater? Yeah, yeah, Crazy. I saw it at the budget, uh, so oh, it was yeah. probably in its yeah. later run. But yeah, yeah, I didn't get to see it till it got to the budget. Yeah, I was there opening weekend or or close, maybe not quite opening, but uh, it was definitely one I was like, we gotta go see this now, 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 now. So if yeah. I didn't get there opening, it was definitely right there. But yeah, that movie is so fucking good and it holds up so well. It's oh my god, yes, amazing. I kind of want to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. We just did it for the pod not too long ago, and I, I right? completely forgot about that. I was like, just thinking, what should I watch today? It's, you know, Super Bowl Sunday. What am I going to do until the game? And I was like, oh, Last Boy Scout makes sense as a, just, you know, thematically makes sense. I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me. Hey, Ron, you just watched this, uh, whatever that was, six months ago or something like that. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> it's one of those you can just throw on. It's great. Yeah. And even some of the quotes you were sending me the other day or just some of the lines I just the like the, the 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 excuse me the Don Johnson cardboard cutout thing or whatever yeah. just the the disappointment in Willis's voice oh <laughs> oh shit yeah or oh fuck or whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, the, another thing about that movie too is you can just hear it all in the you know like Jimmy Dix you fuck like what are you yeah <laughs> you're a band yeah yeah. That fucking guy. This is yeah. a league party. Yeah. <laughs> How would you like to get kicked off the fucking planet? <laughs> have a nice game. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's gonna have to be a pre Super Bowl viewing must for me. Oh hey, I want to talk to you about something. What do you think if we come up with a? I don't know what exactly we call it, but like a big four O Hall of Fame or something. This wouldn't just be you know our, our favorite <laughs> movies or the ones, that, but it, like. The ones that we watch that completely blow us away, like Death Stalker would be in yes. there, Sleepaway Camp, you know, the ones where we're just like, yeah, 
these guys were going to put their fucking jersey up in the rafters. Yeah, so. I like that idea. Yeah, we'll have to start incorporating that. And it can't happen, you know, every fucking week or anything. But a right. couple couple times a year, just the ones that really blow us away or catch us by surprise. And right. we'll talk about it. We'll be like, Peter, I would like to nominate this one for yeah. Big 4 Hall of Fame. And if you're like, nah, fam, <laughs> then... <laughs> It uh, yeah. well yeah it has to it's it has gotta, to it's reach gotta be yeah we gotta yep. we have to both agree and and it's got yep. a it's got a high bar already to to hit um, probably can't be a bonus movie right these should, yeah these no should I think we should keep movies. it to the I think we should keep yeah. it to the big four oh and then you know right. when we get a couple of years down the road we can we'll have this little uh, yeah bar of what's considered the craziest shit and that's a fantastic idea yeah. Kind of like when you came up with the "Is this better than Juno?" That we have. Not... Yeah, I still, I'm still waiting for Never. the. I should have used uh, Death Talker Two for, for my uh, to bring that game back, but I'm sure we'll have another chance as these. Well, I would have said yes. Progress. I think if you're like, hey, you want to watch a Juno or Death Talker Two again? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know why I'm. I'm. I'm not quite on the same page as you with this. Like, I didn't hate Juno, but I only saw it. The one time in theater, and I totally get that it is probably one of those movies that if I were to watch it now, I'd be like, why did everybody think this was so great? Yeah. You know, I, I can see how it's probably just wrapped up in the, oh, it's another quirky movie with quirky dialogue and, you know, mm-hmm. frank, funny characters and stuff. And, and I still like that stuff. I mean, I didn't like shit like Little Miss Sunshine and all that. So I can totally understand where you're coming from, where some of this stuff irks you after a while right. or, or doesn't doesn't hit. But Juno was never one of those for me, but I, I I can totally see me watching it now. I'd probably be like, oh my god, this just reeks of <laughs> mid two thousands, you know, mumblecore, yeah. <laughs> right? Shoe gazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh right. god, yeah, the contrivances are a plenty. Yeah. The cast is so good, though. I love Sarah. I love Jason Bateman. Um, I liked Ellen yeah. Page. I, I don't know I, what's deal oh well, i him, i can't say i liked know. ellen page yeah I did, I did not like her at the time in that movie really? at i all. mean like i understood why people liked her I, you know i understood yeah. why you know she she had this sort of whatever kind of effortless charisma or whatever you want to call it but but yeah i guess she just kind of started doing the same thing over and over again so right yeah there weren't many roles for her after a while all right, we spent more time trying to get out of here than we have on any of these movies. So, Peter, have a good night, and uh, yeah, <laughs> see you next week well. for for Children of the Corn and Splash. Splash. That should be that should be fun. I'm not particularly looking forward to either one of those movies. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't remember shit about Splash. Yeah. So, <laughs> Children of the Corn, I've seen semi recently, and it's you know fucking whatever. But I don't know. Man, yeah. Watching it through through these eyes, I tend to be surprised so we'll see what happens against all odds it might get three stars uh yeah how can how can never mind (laughs) ron it's been real (laughs) all right don't don't turn around and see me cry peter i will not i'll just stay here watching your watching your face as the credits roll Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Peter, you're the only one who ever really knew me at all. <laughs> I'd like to take a look at you now, but your fucking camera's off. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>